We are going to continue in this series that Pastor Rob has been preaching from. And today, let's just just start out with prayer. It's always a good place to start. So Father, we just come to you this morning and we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you, Father, that wherever two or three are gathered together in your name, you are here in our midst. So Lord God, we thank you for that. And we pray that as, as this word is spoken, that you would anoint it into the hearts of those who listen and hear so that they may understand and know you better. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So for about a year now, you've been seeing this symbol. You put the, the, the mountain up, please. You've been seeing this symbol on all of our promotions. You've been seeing it, it's on the wall. It's on shirts that we wear. It's on anything that we publish, this mountain. And what does this mean? I've had people ask me, what does this mountain mean? A couple years ago, we changed the name of the church, or we, we adopted a slogan name, and we're now calling ourselves the Summit. And I've had people say, does that mean you're not four square anymore? What does that mean? Why have you changed the name of the church? Well, we're still four square. We're very much still four square. But we, as a, as a team, spent much time praying and seeking God and asking him what his vision was for the church. What does he want us to accomplish on, for him? And as we prayed, we began to get clarity and we began to, began to write down those things that the Lord was speaking to us. It became clear to us what he wanted us to say and to pursue. So as you know, Pastor Rob has been talking about vision and our vision here at the summit is to know God. Our, our um, mission is, our mission statement is this. Will you put that up, please? Let's read it together. We declare that the summit is on mission to ensure that every man, woman, and child have repeated opportunities to hear, to see, and experience the gospel of the kingdom. So that is... That is our mission. This is why we're here. This is our purpose. And we decided as we, as we developed these different points that we were going to, it was going to be a mountain that we were climbing so that we could accomplish this mission. And there are six points, our camps on this mountain. And we're going to look at those now. And these points that we, that we will accomplish will help us to have intimacy with God, will help us to know him more. The first is life in the scriptures, devoting time to reading and studying the Bible. Life in the scriptures is foundational to being a Christian, to understanding the scriptures. Second is Holy Spirit encounters, participation in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The third place on the mountain is healthy relationships, cultivating community among believers. We need to have healthy relationships with one another. And next is influence in the world, equipping for evangelism and reaching the unchurched. We don't want to just come to church and confine our church to four walls. We want to go out. We want people to know who Jesus is. We want to have influence outside of this building. And a design for living, to grow and to have purpose and to identity, to have identity, to know who you are in the Lord. That is a very important part of who we are in knowing Jesus. And lastly, is godly perspective, knowing God, seeing the world as God sees it. That, that would be the goal and purpose of every believer. Oftentimes, we see things through our own eyes, and we need to pray and ask God to help us see situations and see things as he sees them. Today's focus is going to be on life in the scriptures. 
Why is that important? I'm going to, just so you know, I'm going to be reading a lot of scriptures today, so, so bear with me. I think when we're talking about life in the scriptures, we need to be in the scriptures, right? So that's what we're going to be doing today. So the first slide as to why we believe it's going to be important to be in the scriptures is that the scriptures are essential for our growth and development as Christians is an understanding of God and his word. God desires that we know him and has provided his word to be our governing or guiding factor in our lives. We believe that God's word is the revelation of Jesus Christ to man. We believe that reading the word of God will do the following for us. It will cleanse our ways. It will produce faith. It will begin a process of change. It will bring peace, and we will discover the many facets of the power of Christ. We need all of these things as we move forward in our walk with the Lord, and we're going to look at each of these more closely this morning. I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis. How many times have you heard us say that? <laughs> Pastor Rob, the last three Sundays, says we're going all the way back to Genesis, and that's where I'm starting as well. I want you to listen. In Genesis 1, verses 1 through 26, I want you to listen to how many times God speaks and what happens after he speaks. Okay, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, that's pretty self-explanatory. In the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth that we live on. There was never a time that God wasn't here, and there was a time in the beginning of the world when he decided that he was going to bring this mass back together. Verse 2 tells us that the earth was formless and empty and was covered with darkness and deep waters. God takes a look at this emptiness and he speaks to it. And he says in verse 3, Let there be light, and there was light. He separated the light and the darkness into day. Then in verse 6, God says, Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And God separated the waters. In verse 9, God says, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. So we have oceans and rivers and streams and we have dry land. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth sprout with vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind and seeds in them. God is such a complete God. I love this about this, this, this passage of scripture. God didn't just create an apple tree with apples and then when all the apples were gone, there were no more apples. He created, he created so that it would continue to produce and to reproduce. The same thing with vegetables. His spoken word created the trees and the vegetation with seed. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from night. And that's when we got our sun, our moon, and our stars. Then God said in verse 20, let the water swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. Again, God in his completeness created the fish and the birds of every kind to what? To reproduce. It wasn't just one bird, it wasn't just one blue jay, but it was, they were created to reproduce and make more. God's creation is reproductive. Verse 24, then God said, 
Let the earth produce every kind of animal, each producing offsprings of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And finally, in verse 26, we come along. God says, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. They will reign. Hear that. They will reign over the fish of the seas, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God spoke, and creation listened. I just wonder if you know anybody who can speak something into existence. Do you? I know people who can create. I know people who who can visualize and draw a picture of what they see in their minds so that we can see it too. And then they know people who can get the raw materials that are necessary to make whatever that vision is that they've drawn, but they can't speak it into existence. They, they cannot just say, be there. God is the only one who can speak anything into existence. When we see the perfection of his creation, we know that it was not a haphazard thing that God did. He spent time, he planned from the very beginning of time, creation. And God's word teaches us what that plan is. He would conclude from reading this passage, we could conclude from reading this passage that God was singular, that there was only one, except for verse 26 that says, uh, let us make man in our own image. So I want to just talk about that a little bit more. Who was us that God was talking about in Genesis 1? We're moving to John 1, 1 through 5, and this is what it says. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So so this word is a he. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought life to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Who's John talking about? Jesus, yes, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus has always always existed. When we speak here at the summit, we believe in the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They work corporately together, and they work individually, but they're still one, the Trinity. So God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all one. And today we're talking about Jesus being the Word. When we read the Bible, we are reading Jesus' words. We are hearing Jesus speak his words to us. God spoke, and creation happened. Creation is still happening. God is still speaking. As I was thinking about this message, I thought, you know, If God's word is speaking, that means that when I sit down with my Bible, that this word, this book is speaking to me, that it's that it's real, that it's 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 a person. This is Jesus bound in leather. This is God speaking to us. The Bible is the inspired word of God. And I looked up inspired because I want to make sure that what we talk about we understand. So inspired in the Bible dictionary means. The divine, divine influence believed to have led 
to the writing of the Bible. So who was the divine influencer of the Bible? It was God. The Bible is the inspired word of God, meaning that God inspired men who wrote the Bible to do so, and he told them what to say. The term inspiration is found in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and this is what it says. All scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I thought about that for a minute, and I, and I, I related that to a parent. A parent raises their children, they teach them right from wrong, they correct them when they make a mistake, and they equip them to live as contributing adults to the world. The living God is our Father, and he gave us his word, which is our instruction for living. Isaiah 64, 8 says, And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are our potter. We are all formed by your hand. So we have more than one Father. We have the Heavenly Father who created us, who forms us, who molds us, who changes us as we seek him, as we learn more about him. We are his children. Okay, so now I'm going to really show you how old I am. Does anybody know what this is? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Look at all those hands. Yes, this is a AAA triptych. How many of you have ever gotten a AAA triptych? How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> there's a few of you. When we were to go on a trip in our early years, and we, wanted, and we didn't know how to get there, we would go to AAA, and we would get a triptych. Now, the funny part of this story is when, when I was about 17, I used to work for AAA, and I used to make triptychs like this. And my husband just shakes his head. He's like, how in the world could you make triptychs? Because you don't know right from left. You don't know north from south or east from west. The system was pretty foolproof because I worked there. I'll tell you a story once when we were going to visit a family member. I had handwritten instructions on how to get to where we were going. And I was reading those directions, and my husband was driving. And we kept passing the same thing over and over and over again. And we were going in the circles, and Donna says, what is going on here? And I said, I don't know. I'm reading the directions. I can't figure it out. And he says, let me see that. So I hand him the handwritten directions, and he, he reads them, and he says, Phyllis, there's a whole line you've skipped every single time. <laughs> we finally got to our destination after we read the map right. So a triptych, just for those of you who don't know and you're young, it's a map, and it's a page-by-page, blown-up section, highlighted direction showing you how to get there. Today, that would be your... It would have been GPS or Siri on our iPhones or whatever that gets us to where we're going. But we had directions. We had to know a way to get there. So is the Bible. You know, without the Bible, we're going to get lost. We're not going to be able to find our way. We're going to go around and around and around like Don and I did, going to my relative's house because we skipped a line. The Bible is our GPS. It's our triptych. It gets us to where we're going. It's our guide. 
So we said the Bible was written by men and inspired by God. Inspiration in Greek, and I'm going to try this Greek word. I, I, I wrote it out. Theopanousto, I think is how it's said. Forgive me for Greek people. I'm sorry if I misspelled it. But it means God breathed. Which brings me to a story when, when my husband and I were young. We were young once. We went, we went to youth camp. We went to what they called junior high camp back in the day. And there was a, a man and woman at camp that year who were our leaders, who were our speakers. And they took the Bible and they opened it up and they held it like this. And they said, if you had spiritual eyes, you would be able to see these pages moving because they would be breathing, because this book is alive. It's not like any other book you've ever held in your hand. This book is alive, it's breathing, it's real. What is in this book is truth. There is no other book like the Bible. And I have never forgotten that. That really stuck into my memory that, yes, the book of the, the, the Bible, the Word of God, is alive and real, and it's breathing. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 13, Paul is teaching about the, the, the mysteries of God and God's plan. He explained that God revealed these things to him through the Holy Spirit. Have you ever had God reveal anything to you by reading the word, by the Holy Spirit speaking into your heart? This is what it's talking about. Verse 11 says, No one can know a person's thought except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we cannot receive God's spirit, not the spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the spirit, using the spirit's word to explain spiritual things. The word of God is spirit. It's written for us to understand spirit. It's written for us to understand God, who is a spirit. So it's written in his language. John 6, 63 says, The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. One of my, I've said this before. One of my favorite books in the Bible is John 17. And this is when, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's just prior to his crucifixion, and he's praying. <clears throat> now, I know for myself, if, if I had been there, I would, I would be praying, Lord, get me out of this mess. Help me find a way that I don't have to go through this. But this is not what Jesus prayed. Jesus went to the cross willingly. He, but he was praying not for himself, but for us. And I love that about this book about this chapter in John, because Jesus prayed for us. Go home and read John 17, because it says he prayed for those to come, for those who would become believers later. That's you and me, okay? And this is what he said in verse 8. He says, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. What was the message? It was the word of God. And they accepted it and know that it came from you, and they believe you sent me. All that Jesus taught us came directly from God. Every word that he ever spoke, everything that he ever did, he did because God showed him that. It also, scriptures also teach us about prophets. There's a, lot of books in this, there's a lot of books in the Bible about prophecy, what the prophets did. 
The prophets did not write their own words. They were words given to them by God. In 2 Peter 1, 20-21, it says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. It was spoken into them, and they repeated what was given to them. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, they spoke from, and they spoke from God. The Spirit-breathed inspiration was given in many different ways. God is not a God that you could put in a box. He does things in many different ways. Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And as you read the word and become more familiar with it, you will find out that man is admonished not to change the scripture, not to change what the word says. Sometimes as, as time passes and society moves on, we, we, we want to change it to, to meet with our culture, but that's not what God does. God's word is what? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word does not change. Deuteronomy 12.32 says, Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do, and shall not add or take away from it. John 10.35, And you know the scriptures cannot be altered. Scripture is detailed down to the smallest stroke and letter. Matthew 5.18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its pur purpose is achieved. God's word will live forever. This is something that when, when time stops, when Jesus is returned and this, this planet is no longer like it is now, his word will live forever. 1 Peter 1.25, But the word of the Lord remains forever, and that word is the good news that was preached to you. The third point that I want to make today is that Jesus used the scriptures regularly in his ministry. When Jesus was baptized by John in Matthew 3, afterward he is led into the wilderness. Now we're not going to read every, every scripture, but I'm going to read some of these so that you can see. Jesus used the word of God three different times to answer what Satan was, was tempting him with. Verse of Chapter 4, verse 1 it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For forty days and forty nights he fasted and became very hungry. When I read that scripture, I always want to go, duh. Forty days and forty nights. I can't imagine going four days and four nights, let alone forty. And it says that he was hungry. Well, of course he was hungry. He hadn't eaten. And the other thing I noticed about this, this is where the devil came to tempt Satan. When does the devil come to to tempt us when we're weak. Jesus was weak physically because he hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. But this is what he said. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I, I went there in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, it's been 40 days and 40 nights and I haven't eaten. And you've seen what we call river biscuits. Don't those rocks, those river biscuits, don't they look like a loaf of bread? I mean, really, when you look at them, that's kind of what they look like. They're, they're small, round, and that's what the enemy said. Just turn that into bread. You know, just go ahead and have a bite. But God says, Jesus says, no, we don't live 
by food, by food, by bread alone. And then the devil took him to the holy city, to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. In this verse, Satan thinks he knows what Jesus is thinking because he's going to start using scripture. Now, Jesus is using scripture to respond back to him. He's going to start using scripture back on Jesus. And he says, if you are the son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Well, Jesus being Jesus was prepared for what this devil was going to do and he answered saying, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. And Jesus' response was, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil went away and the angels came back, came and took care of Jesus. One translation says, until we had another opportunity, until we had another chance. This wasn't the only time Jesus was, was tempted, but this is what's recorded for us. So, the word of God, as I've said, is our GPS. It's our map. When we read the word, we can apply what's in this word to our lives. So the word of God gives us authority over the enemy. We see the authority that the word had over the enemy in Jesus' life. If he came at Jesus, why would he not come at us? Really? You know, if he's going to test and tempt Jesus, why would he not test and tempt us? But as the word was Jesus' weapon, so it is our weapon. The Bible is also, as I said earlier, full of prophecy from the Old Testament that was fulfilled in the New Testament. And just for the sake of time, I'm going to just re tell you where these are, and you can look at them later. Jesus fulfilled prophecy from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, when he opened the scrolls and read from them in Luke 4, 16 and 19. When you guys get home, look those up. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and Luke 4, 16 and 19. And then Jesus told the Pharisees that they were wrong in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine because they did not know the scriptures. We can be wrong about something if we don't know the scriptures. Um, this slide, this is just a little bit of research I did. It says, it has been estimated that over one-tenth of Jesus' recorded New Testament words were taken from the Old Testament. In the four Gospels, 180 of the 1,800 verses which record his words were either Old Testament quotes or Old Testament allusions. And here's a chart that shows, shows it shows the, the Old Testament quote and the New Testament quote and the, and the story that went along with that. If you guys want a copy of this, I can get it to you later, but it's a, it was on temptation, it was a sermon at the, on the mount, it was confrontation with Jesus, with, with, with Jesus and the Jewish rulers, a tribute to John, the triumphal entry. These are just a few of the things that were, that were prophesied in the Old Testament that happened in the New, that Jesus talked about. Jesus spoke every day from the Word as he taught his followers. He, he still does that today. When we pick up the book, Jesus is still speaking to us today, just like he did when he walked here. So, why is it important to read the Scripture? Psalm 119.9 says, how can a man cleanse his way? And it answers the question, by taking heed according to your word. The word, God, the word of God cleanses us, we repent from our sins. You know, you won't even know that you've sinned or that you've done something wrong 
if you haven't read the word of God that tells you that that behavior is a sin? Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Have you ever just needed more faith? Have you ever just said, God, I don't have enough faith to get through whatever it is I'm going through? Get into the word because the word increases your faith when you read it. Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. This scripture, if we want to know God and live in his truth, the word will convert our thinking. Have you ever wondered why you're so different than others? Have you ever wondered why you don't fit in? I have. I've wondered, Lord, why, why do I not fit in in this generation with, with people who I know? Why do I think so differently? You know why? It's because the word of God starts a process of change in our minds to be in harmony with what the Bible teaches. And we have been changed. Our minds are changed when we read the Bible. The way we think is changed. Our minds are rewired. The word of God changes the way we think. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now listen to this. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will accomplish what he sets out to accomplish. His word is, you, you know, you, you, you play a a card game, this just popped into my head, and there's a trump card, you know, and that trump card beats every other card in that deck. God's word is a trump card. His word is a trump card. Human minds don't think like God. If you want to think like he does, read his word. God's word has a purpose and a plan, and it will accomplish its plan. And we read and apply his truth to our lives. We begin to grow in knowledge and into intimacy with Jesus. This is something else that Pastor Rob says that I just love. Intimacy, he breaks it down. In to me see. We want Jesus to see in us what we are, who we are, so that we can grow in him and so that we can see who he is. One of the other topics in the word is peace. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, we live in a, in, a, in a broken world, and there's a lot of pain in our world. There's a lot of things that we go through that are hard, that are, just, that are uncomfortable, and they can make us very confused at times. But this says the peace of God surpasses all understanding. And it guards our hearts and our minds. The peace of God is, is like a blanket. It wraps you up and it holds you tightly. The peace of God, it, it, it is difficult to explain what it's like. I remember the time when, I, if I were to tell a time when I really had the peace of God was when I was going to have some surgery. 
and I wasn't sure how that surgery was going to end up. And I can remember laying on the gurney that took me back to the operating room and just having a peace that, flew, uh, that flooded me. And that peace was, you know, rather the surgery is successful or whether it's not, God is still in control. He is my peace. He covers me. He's, he's like a warm blanket that wraps around me. There, there, it's difficult to, under, to explain what that peace is like. God's word is power. That's found in Hebrews 4.12. God's, and I'm not, we're not going to talk about each one of these because we'd be here till next Sunday. God's word teaches. That's found in James 1.22-25. God's word cleanses. Ephesians 5.26 and John 15.3. God's word is salvation. 1 Peter 1.23 and Romans 1.16. God's word is a lamp or a guide or a GPS, or a triptych, Psalm 119, 105. God's word is nourishment, 1 Peter 2, 2. These are all things that we receive when we read the word. Power, learning, understanding, cleanses us from our sins, it saves us, it guides us, it feeds us. So I wanted to talk just a little bit in wrapping up this morning about why when we, when we sat down at our staff meeting, Pastor Rob said, we are going to be going over the six camps on the mountain, and I want you guys to, to take a week and to talk about it. And I chose scriptures, because for me, scriptures are foundational. It's, it's what we stand on. If you don't have a foundation, you can't stand. So I wanted to get a little personal and talk about why the Bible is so important to me. A lot of you know, not all of you know, that I, I come from a broken home. I was not raised by my parents. I was raised by a guardian who took care of me so that she could be paid, so that she could make money. And in that environment, things were difficult. And I was nine years old, and I started to go to a little church that met in, in the elementary school that I attended. And when you live in that environment, you don't feel the love and, the, and the, the nurturing that you have in a home with a mom and a dad. This was, this was like a foster home, but without the care and, and concern of a mother and a father. So when I went to this little church, I met these people who loved me, who saw this skinny, tall, curly-haired girl in hand-me-down clothes and not a penny to my name, and they loved me. They took me in. They cared for me. They taught me the scriptures. They taught me the word. I truly believe that when I accepted Jesus when I was nine years old, and if you can visualize a cafeteria in an elementary school, this is where the church met. And the pastor stood upon the platform, and it would be those accordion-type platforms that folded in and out. That's where he stood, and he, and he called us forward if we wanted to know Jesus. He barely began his, his altar call before I was out of my chair and I was up there. I will never forget that day when Jesus came into my heart and he saved me from my sins. I was nine years old. And it's a very simple prayer. You just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I want to know you. Forgive me. Come into my heart and cleanse me. And you're saved. That's all it takes. It's not a big secret or anything scary. But I truly believe that when I was saved spiritually, 
I was also saved physically because of the life that I could have lived had I not known Jesus in those early days of my life. I've told the story before. It's not a story I'm real proud of, but the story of how I got my first Bible. This is, now this is old. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but this is old. And look, they made, they made things really well. This, Bible, this box is still together. The Bible, however, has seen better days. But this is the Bible. This is my, my children's rainbow Bible that I earned when I went to school, when I went to church there. And as you can see, it's, it's been used. But it's something that's very treasured because it's my first Bible. Here's David and Goliath. It's my first Bible that I ever received. And it was something that was very special to me because the Word of God is very special to me. As I grew in the church and learned stories about Jesus, I became hungry for more. As a teenager, now these pictures, I'm going to see if if you... (laughs) Okay, I joined a quiz team. And a quiz team, I don't know, how many of you know what a quiz team is? One, two, three, four, five of you know what a quiz team is. Okay, so that's more than I thought. A quiz team was consisted of four, four students and all varying ages, but within a couple of years of each other. And we, we made a team, and we also had an alternate in case one of us couldn't do it for whatever reason. And we would study a, a scripture, a, a text. I know the one that we did was um, when... Paul was on the road to Damascus. And we would study this text and we would learn the scripture. We would know it inside and out. We would memorize it. And when it came time for the, for the competition, we competed with other churches who had quiz teams. And as you can see, we sat, you can see we sat on a regular chair and you can't see very well, maybe with that one. There was a little pad that sat on the chair and it was wired. And you would put just enough pressure on that clicker, on that pad, that when you moved, your light came on if you were the first one to come up. That disconnected the clicker, and it, your light would come on, and you would get to answer the question. Well, the questions were never even totally asked because you, they would say, what road, and you were up because you knew the answer was Damascus. And that's how fast they would never even, and we would, we would, compete against other teams and we did very well. One year we won our divisional championship and we got to go to Florida for the national convention and we competed there. So that was an awesome thing. But more than winning championships, we learned the word of God. This is how the word got in us. And we did not even realize when we were doing this, we were kids competing against one another for a trophy. We did not know the power of a quiz team and the power that the word would have in our lives. So the word of life became, the word of God, the word of life, the word of God became life and hope to me. The thing, one of the things that the word told me was that I was loved, I was accepted, that I had a future. Those weren't things that I was told at home. I was told that I was a nuisance that my mother didn't pay like she was supposed to, that I was never going to amount to anything. This is what the devil wanted me to hear. This is what he was feeding me. But that's not what the word of God fed me. The word of God fed me that I am loved, I am cherished, that I have a father who loves me and cares for me, and that I'm going to go to heaven one day and live with him, and that I was going to have a good life, a full life. 
One year at camp, I was probably about 12 years old, I received the, the gift of tongues. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And can I just say to anybody here who has kids and you have a camp program, send your kids to camp. Can I say it again? Send your kids to camp. It's one of the most important weeks out of the year for your youth is to go to camp and be surrounded by people who do love them and care for them and teach and train them in the Word of God. But one year at camp, like I said, I was about 12. I can still see myself that night when I was filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit of God has lived in my heart every day since then. It has been my guide. It has been my GPS. It has helped me make decisions. It has helped me not to make decisions that weren't good. The Holy Spirit is our guide. He's our lead. The Bible made me promises that if I served God, he would be faithful to me. It told me consequences of sin. By reading the stories in the Word, what happens when you sin? The Word of God led me each day of my life, and it taught me not to be unequally yoked together in marriage. It taught me that when you get married, you need to be married to somebody else who believes. And praise God, I married a man who believes. And 46 years later, we're still married. Thank you, Jesus. That's, that's God. I wasn't able to have children. The Word of God teaches that God is our healer, that he's our provider. So, I ha so after we'd been married for 10 years, I had Sarah. And a couple years later, I had Kyle. So God kept his word to me. He promised me that I would have children, and I had children. Reading the Bible taught me not to be drunk with wine. So alcohol has never been an issue in my life. The Bible said no. I said okay. So I've never had to worry about a DUI or about doing something that I shouldn't do when I'm inebriated because I'm not going to go there because of what the Bible says. There have been times when I've made mistakes. Don't get me wrong. I've made mistakes. I've disobeyed. But the Word of God teaches us that God cleanses us and forgives us for all of our sins when we confess. So the Bible has been a lifelong resource for me. One simply cannot know God if you don't read the Word. Going to church is wonderful, and we want you to come to church, but it's not enough. You've got to get into the Word and, and figure out who God is. The Holy Spirit draws you to receive Jesus as your Savior, and then he leads you in understanding as you get into the Word and you spend time in prayer. So I'm standing here telling you that I am totally convinced that the Word of God is accurate, it's true, every word in this book is alive, it's real, and it applies to me and to you. It has every answer you will ever need. You know, I, I like to do book studies. We just finished a book study, and self-help books are great. They have a lot of information in them, and they help you. They help you to figure out things in your life so that you can walk more closely with the Lord. But everything that's good in those self-help books is here first. And it's taken out of here and written in another book so that you can grasp it. Okay, so some practicals in reading the book and reading the Bible. At the summit, we encourage you on your journey to consider the following as essentials in your life. Number one, daily read the Word of God using the Bible reading plan. Now, let me just stop here. We are not religious about that. We know that there's going to be a day when you're busy and you're not going to read the Word. And if that happens, you are not going to hell. 
It just means that you missed reading the word that day, pick it up the next day, okay? We don't want it to become so dogmatic that it becomes a, a ritual, a rote, okay? Um, we, number two, we recommend that you use the method of study that helps you to understand the word of God better. And number three, we recommend the soap journal, and I didn't bring one of those up, but we have soap journals available here. They're $7. And if you want to know how to soap, Pastor Caitlin and myself, there's others in here who can help you, show you what soaping is. It's a very awesome way to read the word. Number four, attend public preaching and teaching of the word of God. And number five, be a part of a connect group when you can learn the word of God together. There's nothing like meeting together with a bunch of other like-minded people and talking about the word of God. What's God doing in your life? What's God showing you? How did you get through this? It's, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing to do. We believe that the word of God is the seed that produces repentance and faith in Jesus to be born again, and that's in John 3, 3, and experience eternal life. And John 3, 3 says, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's God's words, not mine. We have to be born again. We have to know Jesus in order to see the kingdom of God. And there are, there are different ways, there are different Bibles, many translations, and I wanted to talk with you just for a minute about the difference between a paraphrase and a translation. With a paraphrase, the author takes a translation of the Bible and puts it into his or her own words, what they believe it means. The author of a paraphrase usually does not start with the Bible in its original language, which is Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. A translation, rather a word-for-word -word or phrase-by-phrase -phrase translation of the Bible, on the other hand, is a far more accurate and reliable source than the paraphrase. So we recommend that you read a translation so that you have more accurate definition of what the word means. When you shop for a Bible, look for one with an easily understood message, but check to make sure it's a translation. This Bible is the New Living Translation and I've received flack over the years for it, but I love this Bible. It speaks to me. When I read it, I understand it. Find a translation that you like, that, that you can understand, so that, when you, so that you'll be led to read it. If, you, if thousand, and, and, and if the King James is difficult for you, then find a Bible that's, that's easily understood for you. Find a quiet, undisturbed place to read. Shut off your phone. You know, the enemy... He just loves to make that phone ding when you sit down with your Bible. Shut off your phone, put it in the other room, get it away from you. Set a consistent time. Do it, if it's possible, the same time every day. Decide how long you're going to spend in the Word, and then do that. Begin with prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to lead you and to reveal the Word of God to you. I always say, Jesus, when I read this today, show me something I've never seen before. Show me a word that I've, I've never picked up. You, know, you can read the same chapter 50 times and get something different each time out of it. And then write down what God reveals to you and how it applies to your life. That's sort of the SOAP method. Then end with prayer. There are many Bible reading plans available. Uh, if SOAP isn't one you want to do, you can get online. You can talk to somebody else. What do they do? Talk to other people and just... Pick one for yourself. We're not saying one is better than the other. You can research that online. When we commit ourselves to daily reading of the word, it can be an experience that leads us into God's presence 
and one that will help us to grow in our relationship with God. So as you know, from me standing here for the last half hour, I love the Word of God. Do I read it every day? No. There are days that I don't because things happen. Life gets in the way. But I can't begin to tell you enough how important it is to know the Word of God. Have you ever sat down with somebody and you're having difficulty and all they do out of them is this chapter, this verse, and then this verse, and then this verse? Because they've been in the Word and they know what it says and they know that it's alive, that it will help you, that it will change you. So if I can just encourage you today, be in the Word of God. It is the first step on the mountain. It's the foundation to all of the other all of the other locations on the mountain, and I encourage you to stay in the Word. I'm going to close with prayer, and then Pastor Caitlin has something she wants to say. So, Father, I thank you so much for the Word. I thank you, Father, that your Word is truth, it's life, it's life-giving. I thank you that it transforms our mind, that it, it helps us to understand you, that your Spirit gives us an understanding of you as we read your Word. And Lord, I pray for each person in this room, each person at home streaming who has heard this message, that they will get their Bibles out, Lord God, and that they would read it, that they would learn more of you, that they would draw closer to you for the intimacy, into me see, that being in the scriptures brings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.